All right. How's it going, Soma? Good. Okay, that you guys didn't answer. That was weird. Okay, so uh, great, awesome. I'm, I'm glad you guys are doing good. Um, yeah, so just a tip for you guys. Um, if you want some really cheap, legit stuff, if you're looking to buy some really cheap, legit stuff, uh, go to Chinatown. Chinatown is a place um, <coughs> where you can get that. Actually, it's not legit. It's bootleg. It's like super bootleg. Um, but it's not a problem. Like, most of the stuff that you'd end up buying in Chinatown, like, it's not a big deal if it's fake. Like, the kind of stuff you get, fireworks, knives, turtles, ask Brandon about that, turtles. doesn't matter if those things are fake. Um, the point is, like, it looks real, at least most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't look real. For instance, Pocket Monica. Um, Apparently, Pikachu's name has been Monica all along. Um, Pikachu's actually a girl. Um, surprise. Next. Shrek 2. Um, you know, Shrek really bulked up after that first movie, you know? Um, the next one. N- New style ninja tortoise. Okay. Actually, that's not actually... Hojin loves that. Actually, that's not that incorrect because turtles, like, they live in water. The Ninja Turtles don't actually live in water. Um, So they might be tortoises. But they're not in the water. Okay, Angel, I'm sorry. You're wrong. Um, Next. (laughs) This. This is so... This is so bad. This is so bad that... I would wear it, like I would have that backpack almost just to be ironic. Um, Obama, number 10. All right, so, um, so there you go. Uh, it's not really a problem if you buy fake stuff because who cares? It just looks fake, but it can be legit. Um, the real problem is if you buy medicine down there, right? Because you might get like a real label, and a bootleg product. Like, you don't want to do that. Like, you might go down there trying to buy some, like, vitamin C. You end up with a bottle of, like, Viagra or something. And though it won't kill you, like, you'll be disappointed. Like, you'll be excited, but you'll be disappointed. Um, and, like, it's not going to kill you unless it doesn't interact well, right? If it doesn't interact well, then that could be really dangerous. In that case, appearances can actually kill. So having the right label on the outside doesn't matter if the stuff on the inside doesn't match up with it. So tonight, we're going to see that doing all the right things on the outside, looking like you're good on the outside, that doesn't actually matter that much to God, right? In fact, that can actually kill you. And that's one case where appearances, again, can actually kill So tonight we're going to see that what God is actually after is real inner heart change. So let me go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, um, you say that your word goes out and it doesn't come back void. God, that your word goes out and it accomplishes exactly what you want it to accomplish. Lord, so I pray that your word would just go out tonight. God, that it would speak to our hearts. God, that it would challenge us, that it would encourage us. Lord, that... um, you would speak in ways that are just so direct to us, God. Uh, I pray against anything that might keep us from hearing your word. Lord, anything in our hearts 
that have been hardened or any walls we've put up, Lord, I pray against that. God, soften our hearts uh, to hear your message for us today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So for those of you who are new, my name is Chris Wozniki, and I'm on staff here. You guys can call me Woz. And we've been in this series called Religion Kills over the last few weeks. And it's a series in the book of Romans uh, where we've basically been seeing that like, you can't put your hope and your performance and your religion and your spirituality, like none of that stuff actually brings life. All of that actually brings death. But that putting your hope in Christ alone, that's what actually brings life. And the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the church in Rome, he makes this point by going after two kinds of people. The first kind of people he goes after are those people who have their own, uh, who've made up their own way to God, right? They think that they can just uh, make up their own spirituality and that'll get them good with God. The second group of people that Paul goes after are the people who believe that you can get right with God because of the things that you say, because of the things that you believe, because of the things that you do. And tonight, we're going to see what Paul has to say to the second group of people. So if you guys have your Bibles or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. So some people say that the title of this series, Religion Kills, uh, is kind of harsh or it's it's too negative. Um, It sounds too much like the new atheists, like... Dawkins and Hitchens and Sam Harris. So it has this kind of negative tone, and and I totally get that. Other people um, that I've talked to have just been super pumped on on the title, right? They're like, yes, like, absolutely. Christianity is a relationship. It is not religion. And I get that, too. Um, I don't think that's right, but I get it, Um, because Christianity is a religion. Like, you pull up any world religions textbook in class, and you will find a chapter on Christianity, Right? So Christianity is a, is, is a religion, but it is a religion with a relationship at its core. So religion is just an organized system of beliefs uh, about how human beings relate to some sort of God or gods. Right? It answers questions like what's right and what's wrong? What happens after death? What is the meaning of life? And it usually answers these sorts of questions through stories. So if that's all that religion is, that Christianity is obviously a religion. Right? And there's nothing wrong with saying that. Right? There's nothing wrong with religion in and of itself. However, it's when you remove the relationship aspect out of religion that it becomes dangerous. More specifically, if you remove the core of the gospel from Christianity, that is when it becomes dangerous. Right? The gospel says that Christianity is ultimately relational. Like, that is at its core. It's about this God pursuing humanity in order to have a relationship with it. It's about God inviting us into the eternal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Him doing this through Jesus' death on the cross for us. So if we remove these core truths of the gospel out of Christianity, right, then what happens is that Christianity becomes moralism. And moralism is just saying, if I obey more, then I'm accepted. Or it's saying, try harder, look better, and then God will love you. And the Romans, the the, the people that Paul is writing to in Romans chapter 2, they're moralists. 
That's their point of view, right? And they say, keeping, keeping the rules, your performance, that's what matters the most. And then they go ahead and judge people according to their own standard. So then Paul, he comes down hard on these people. And we sort of saw that last week uh, towards the end. But essentially what Paul says to them is, when you look down or you judge people because they're not as good as you are, you show that you don't actually get it. Right? You show that, that you think that there is something special about you that sets you apart, that makes God love you. Right? You show that you think that God loved you because you were so awesome. But that's not why. Right? Like God loves you simply because he loves you. Right? God loves out of a complete act of grace, not because anything you've done, not because of anything you will do, not because of anything you've accomplished. So then Paul, he starts talking to them about this, and he starts poking holes at their moralism. And he says that the problem with moralism is that you can't keep its standards. Like, you can say X, Y, and Z is wrong, but then, and then you judge people about those things, but then you turn around and you do the same exact things. But God is fair, right? Like, and he's just. And God says to these people, if you're going to judge sinners and make yourself the standard, and that's cool, like, I'm fair. What I'm going to do is I'm going to judge you by your own standard. Do you see how that's a problem? Do you see how bad of news that is? Like, God is saying, if you judge people for, your se- for their sexual sin, let's see how pure you are. Like, let's see how pure your thoughts are. Uh, if you watch the news and you see people just rioting, um, looting, doing all that sorts of stuff in, in these, these protests, and you look down on those people for being violent or for being criminals or for being out of control, let's see if your heart is free from anger, is free from envy. Right? If you look down on people for not being inclusive, let's see what you're doing to actually include people, right? The problem with moralism and with religious pride is that nobody can keep their own standard. Nobody can do it. So at the end of the day, your pride, your moralism is gonna be the death of you. And then Paul brings this argument that he starts at the beginning of chapter two to a climax in verse 17. So starting at verse 17, and it says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship with God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, in the law, the embodiment of of knowledge and truth. So he starts out by saying, religion isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, and this is your first part of the fill-in, we see that the Old Testament law, that the law, these demands that God gives us, are actually good. The law is good. See, the law was a part of God's rescue plan. See, God had always wanted to create community. Right, to live, he wanted this community that he could live in relationship with. Right? And so he created human beings, and then Adam and Eve, they fell. 
Like they, they fell away from the Lord. So God started this rescue plan in order to get these people back into relationship with him, right? So first he chose Abraham. And, and out of Abraham's family uh, and descendants, he chose a nation of Israel. And out of the nation of Israel would come the one who would one day set all wrongs back to right. And of course, that's Jesus. But before Jesus, God gives Israel the law. Okay, And, and Israel's point, their purpose was supposed to point people back to God. And the law was going to be a part of that. The law was supposed to help. And that's why Paul says to them that you have all of these benefits of the law. Like, it's because of the law that you know God's will. It's because of the law that you can approve of what's right and what's wrong. It's because you know God's will that you can be a guide and a light to the blind, that you can help instruct the foolish. And these are all great things, and they're all things that God's people are still called to do, right? In the law, they had the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, and that's so good. That's such a blessing. But then in sneaks moralism, right? Moralism comes in through the back door. And just like the Gentiles in chapter one that we learned about, focused on the gift instead of the, ones who gave, the one who gave the gift. Paul here is accusing the moralist of focusing on the law instead of the one who gave the law. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Do you who preach against stealing, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul takes direct aim at the people who know the right thing to do, right? They talk the talk. Maybe their hearts, maybe they even keep parts of the law, right? But their hearts are actually far from God. People say, oh, okay, don't do X or don't do Y, don't do these things. And then they judge people for these things and they turn around and do the same exact thing. And they say, don't steal, right? But secretly, they do it behind closed doors. Or their hearts are actually full of envy, right? They say, don't commit adultery, or, and then they secretly do that. Or maybe their hearts are filled with lust. They brag about how important it is to keep the law and do what God says. But then there are parts of God's law that they choose to follow. They pick and choose what parts of God's will they actually want to do, right? And he says, this is dumb. Like, not just because you're going to be judged for it one day, but it's actually much worse than that. His point is that when you brag about doing the right thing, right, or tell people they must do the right thing, but then your life doesn't actually match up with that, you make God look really bad. Do you guys remember growing up how your parents would uh, do all sorts of things that would embarrass you? You guys remember that? Um, <clears throat> I was at the mall the other day, and some mom was like, hugging and kissing her son and just, just being so cute, hugging and kissing her son. And the kid was just like wriggling and writhing and trying to get out of her arms. And I was like, mom, stop it. Like, um, you're embarrassing me. Um, no, that wasn't me. That was some like nine-year-old kid. Um, you, I thought you guys would laugh. Uh, so it was this like nine-year-old kid. And I was like, man, like, 
That's, that's not what it's like with God. God doesn't like, your moralism doesn't embarrass God, right? He's not like, oh, stop it. Stop being so moralistic. You're embarrassing me. No, um, moralism makes people hate God. Moralism, which is try harder, do better, look better, and then God will love you, that gives people a bad taste for God. Because moralism makes you smug, it makes you oversensitive, it makes you anxious, it makes you judgmental. And who wants to be around anyone like that? Nobody. Right? Moralism makes people think like, no, like, ew, no way. Like, if, if that's what Christians are like, then why would I want to be a Christian? Ew. I really like skit comedy. Um, SNL, Keen Peel, some of the stuff that Jimmy Fallon does. Um, I love Jimmy Fallon's ew skit. Um, you know, the one with, uh, uh, with he's, his name is Sarah, but not with an H, because H's are ew. Sorry, Sarah. Um, you know which one I'm talking about? Cool. So for those of you who don't know which one I'm talking about, go ahead and turn your attention to the screen real quick. Okay, we're good. We're good. You can cut the clip. You can cut the clip. There you go. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, there's, um, there's this part of this, of, of the, the ew skit, where he, they do like a quick like ew round, where like they show something, and it's like ew or not ew. So anyway... Um, I imagine people reacting to moralism that way, right? It's like this. You guys do it. Baby sloth. Ew. No, say ew. Ew. Yeah, they're all like, they're usually covered in moss. It's ew. Um, Next thing. Shamrock shakes. Ew. Right? I mean, like, strawberry shakes, good. Banana shakes, good. Shamrock shakes. Disgusting. Ew. Um, next picture. Foot massage. Not ill. Have you ever had a foot massage? It feels so good. That is not ill. Um, the next picture. Christians. Yeah, that's, that's the way the world a lot of people in the world perceive Christians, right? They see people like this, and they assume, they associate that with Christianity. And there are some legit reasons why the world and, and Christianity conflicts, right? Because Christianity goes against the world's standards. Christianity takes against a stand against pride, against injustice, right? A- against sexual immorality, Right? It, it, it stands in for the people that, um, that society look down upon. So obviously Christianity, for good reasons, clashes with culture a lot. And it will make the world hate Christians when Christians stand up for what's right. But a moralistic, prideful, smug sort of attitude should not be why the world hates Christians. But that's exactly what moralism does. Moralism makes people hate God, and it kills others. <clears throat> I remember um, a conversation I had uh, that's just still so vivid in my mind. It was uh, there was this period in my life several years ago 
um, where I was living this sort of double standard. Um, I'd go straight from church or, or life group or whatever um, right to partying. I'd be like telling kids in life group uh, about how important it was to seek God or telling uh, the people that I was in my own life group about that and how I was trying to seek God. And I really did mean those things, and I was trying to do those things. But at the end of the night, I would hop in my car, um, drive out to a party, drink, do drugs, do uh, whatever, basically live the opposite of everything I was talking about. Um, and I saw nothing wrong with it. I was just being young, right? Like I was just doing college um, until this conversation that I had. Uh, so I was sitting in the car with this girl I was dating at the time, and she had a lot of religious baggage, like a lot. Um, she grew up in a super moralistic church. Her parents were super religious on the outside, but on the inside, their lives were just a complete mess. Um, so we were sitting in the car, and she was talking about going to some event or something. And I told her, like, oh, I can't, I can't go to that. Like, I have to go to church. I can't miss church. And then stuff sort of just blew up, like, in the car in that moment. And she was like, why do you even go to church? Like, why do you even call yourself a Christian? You sure don't live like a Christian. You live exactly like your friends. But for some reason, you think going to church, that all of a sudden makes everything else that you're doing okay. And, and in that moment... She said to me, she was like, you know what? It's Christians like you who make me hate God. And in that moment, I realized I had a choice to make. Like, I realized that by taking on this name Christian, um, I was making God look bad. So I did the stupid thing, and I didn't repent. I didn't turn my life around. I just stopped saying I was a Christian, and I was just spiritual all of a sudden. Um, That phrase, though, that she said, it's Christians like you who make me hate God, it's a lot more common than we may think, right? People might not vocalize that. People might not say that, but people are thinking it. People see moralistic, prideful, judgmental Christians and think, is that what God is really like? And if that is what God is really like, do I really want anything, a part of any of that? When each time a Christian's words don't actually match up with their lives, those people harden their hearts a little bit more. And it can come to the point where their heart is so hard that they would never come back to God, right, unless God worked a miracle. And thankfully, though, like, God is in the business of working miracles. But that's what moralism does. It brings death to other people. Verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not yet circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you. Even though you have the written code and the circumcision, you are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. See, circumcision is a beautiful thing. Um, it's a beautiful thing because, uh, because of what it means, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, it's a sign of God's grace. It's a tangible reminder that God has picked this group of people not because of anything they've done, but completely because of his own love and because of his own grace. Circumcision was an outward sign saying you are a part of God's people. And 
the problem, Paul says, is that the Jewish Christians and the Jews had become so confident because of this outward sign. They thought that just because they had this outward sign, this marker, that they were good with God. Right? And they placed too much confidence in something was, that was just supposed to be a symbol of a deeper reality. Right? Now, now, putting too much confidence in circumcision is like not a thing for us today, um, especially for you ladies. Like it's not a thing. However, the danger for us today is to think that we're right with God because of some external thing. Right? For example, to think, I'm good with God because I go to church. Or to think, I'm good with God because I have this quiet time that's been super consistent for the last few months. Or I'm good with God because I'm a worship leader. Or I'm good with God because I serve in three ministries every week. But even more dangerous than these outward things that we can do is thinking that you're good with God because you've had some sort of experience. Right? Like, oh, I raised my hand that one time during that one prayer. So, like, I'm good. Or I feel so good each time during worship. Or I cried so much during that worship night. Or, oh, I get so, like, passionate, like, whenever, I, uh, whenever we sing. Like, those experiences are, have really become a standard for judging how we stand with God. But experiences can't be that standard, right? Back in the day, people used to say, uh, how much Bible do you know? Like, that was a standard. And then it was, how, how, how often do you serve? That was a standard, Right, but now it's so common to hear like, what, what sort of experience have you had? And then judging your relationship with God based off experiences. And all these things can be good, right? If they're done in light of real relationship, like knowing the word, serving, encountering God, all of those things are awesome. If it's done in the context of trusting Jesus alone to make you right with God and not those things. Right? But it's too easy to slip into judging your relationship and where you stand with the Lord based upon these things. And the reality is that that's just another form of moralism. Right? It, it might not be strictly about morals or doing the right thing, right? but it's saying, I do this so I'm right with God. What you're doing is you're putting your trust in your performance rather than Jesus' performance for you. And moralism, here's your next fill-in. Moralism actually brings a false sense of security. It kills you. See, moralism says you're right with God because you do X, Y, or Z, and then you fill in the blank with whatever standard you want to put in there, because usually those standards aren't even in the Bible. Um, moralism is trusting your performance. But as I said last week, Trusting in your performance is a false sense of security, right? It's like you're on the Titanic while it's sinking, so you grab this uninflated flotation device, right? And you feel like, okay, like, um, I'm okay. Like, I have this flotation device. I have this floaty, but it's not going to do anything for you. Like, you might feel good because you have this thing, but you're going down, right? Or, or, it's, or it's like jumping into shark-infested water in this cage made, fo- made, a, made out of, like, meat, Right? You're in this cage, technically that's supposed to save you, right? But actually, that's what's going to be the death of you. That's what's going to like, bring you down. So trusting your performance is a false sense of security that is so dangerous because if you trust in your performance, 
God will judge you by your performance. And that's really bad news, if you think about it, because you can't perform as well as God says, and you probably know that you can't perform as well as even you think you should perform, right? Your only hope, your only real security is to put your trust in Jesus alone because you can't perform well enough. But the gospel says that Jesus can perform well enough and that Jesus did perform well enough and he did everything that you were supposed to do and he was without sin and he was perfect and he honored God perfectly even to the point of dying on a cross. And Jesus offers this perfect performance in exchange for our imperfect performance, right? So all you need to do is just put your trust in him and what he's done for you. And that's real security. Because if you put your trust in religion or your performance, you're going to die. But if you put your trust in Jesus alone, that's where you actually find life. So let me just make clear what I'm saying just to sort of start to wrap things up. I'm not saying that reading your Bible or serving or encountering God in worship, none of that stuff is bad. Right? I'm saying that living I'm saying that living according to God's standards and call is a real blessing. That stuff is actually really good. But that's not what God is looking for. God isn't just looking for you to have all the right things on the outside. God's actually looking for a changed heart. That's what he says. That's what Paul says in verse 29. He says, No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So what Paul is talking about here is he's saying to these people that thought that they had to have this external thing, this external marker to be right with God. But he says, no, like that's, that's not what God is looking for. Just like a farmer who would never want this like, super bright, red, shiny apple that's like rotten and sour and mushy on the inside. God, it's not God's intention to have people, Christians, who look great and awesome on the outside but are actually rotten in the inside. That's not God's intention. God doesn't just want you to look good on the outside. He wants you to be transformed on the inside. See, being good on the outside, it might make people look at you and be impressed at you and want to follow you, but that doesn't actually fool God. Like, God can just see right through that. And God wants more for your life than just for you to look good, right? He wants to transform your life, right, from the inside out. He wants to take what's broken, what's messed up, what's dirty about you, and he wants to send his spirit and to do surgery in that part of your life and change your heart. Like if you're an angry person, like the Lord, he wants to work on that anger in your heart. Right? He, he wants to remove any hate and bitterness you might have in there and actually make you more loving. If you lack confidence, the Lord, he, he wants to come in and remove that lack of confidence and put in your heart just a bigger picture of who he is right? And he wants to give you that bigger picture because then when you see how good God is, then you can be confident. Or if you lack purity, he doesn't just want you to stop 
doing these things, right? He wants to transform your heart so that you desire him more than anything else. And the point of all of this is, is that I'm saying is that God doesn't just want you to be a good moral person. Like God wants you to be a person who's actually good on the inside and who reflects his holiness and his righteousness from the inside out. So what areas in your life do you need to let him grow you in? Specifically this quarter. As we start life groups, I would challenge you to think like what area of your life do you need him to grow? Does God want to grow you in? And are you open to the change that he wants to create? Are you willing to share what that is with your life group? Are you willing to bring that stuff up to your life group for prayer, for accountability? Right? Because that's why we do life groups. That is one main reason we do life groups. We come to life group to encounter God, but we also come to life group to do life together and to grow together. And I believe that there are areas in each one of our lives that God wants us to grow in. And I don't know what that is for you, but that's something to think about, especially going into life groups this week. But I do know that there's one area that God wants to grow all of us in, right? And that is in our understanding of his love for us, right? Because as we grow in our understanding of his love for us and his grace for us, that's when we come to realize that we've been saved completely by grace, right? Not because of anything that we've done. And once we come to realize this, uh, together as a whole, I believe that Soma will be a community that's so open to sinners. Because we know that there's nothing in in ourselves that made God love us, right? So there's no room for pride, right? And that's just so attractive to people who are seeking God who don't have everything figured out yet. And I believe that as we grow in our understanding for this, then we'll want to be better witnesses. Right? And we will be better witnesses because people will want to know the kind of God that we've encountered. Because when we talk to people, when we do life, right, out of this understanding of God's grace and his love for us, we'll reflect a humility and love that's just so unlike what the world thinks about when they think of Christians. Once we do that, once we get the truth of what the gospel says, then moralism goes out the window, right? Moralism that brings death all of a sudden starts to fall away slowly. And then we find life, life which is found only by trusting in Jesus and not in ourselves. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, um, It's so easy to trust in ourselves, God, and our righteousness and the things that we do or the things that we don't do. God, it's easy to trust in those things and to feel like we're right with you because of those things, God. But the reality is that we're not. God, the reality is that we're only right with you because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray that we would just be willing to come to you knowing that you want to transform us from the inside out, God. That you're not content with just us being good on the outside or looking good, but that you really want to transform us and change us and make us more like your son by your Holy Spirit. Lord, so I pray that 
right now, God, that you would bring to mind just areas in our lives that you want to stretch us in, God, that you want to challenge us in, God, areas that we you, that you want us to grow in. Lord, may we just have the humility to lay those things before you, God, and let you work on our hearts. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.